Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. And if you enjoy listening to our show, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button on the episodes. Finally, aside from our podcast, our day job here at RiderFlex is to provide recruiting, staffing, and consulting services. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get the information on the services we provide. And now, a quick word from our sponsor and friends at Marketing 360. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Tom Regan, thank you so much for being back on the RiderFlex podcast. You're my good friend. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me, Steve. Um, am I the first, second time guest? Uh, no, there's been some others on for a second time, but I mean, you are like way up there as the special guest, because if it wasn't for you, uh, first of all, I would have never even entered uh, any type of cannabis experience, which opened so many doors for me professionally and our, and our recruiting firm, uh, which is probably about 30% cannabis right now. Rider Flex, probably 30% cannabis. Uh, you gave us that first shot and you helped me and Scott get this whole thing started back when we met down, met with you and had some beers and said, hey, we're thinking about starting a recruiting firm. And you're like, okay, well, you should do this, 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 and this. Yeah, <laughs> so thank you. you, guys, you thank guys you, sir. Job. Yeah, thank you. I mean, you, you, you kind of righted the ship for our retail when you joined. We were, uh, we were kind of adrift and you, you added some discipline that actually really pushed us forward. So thank you. Well, you. For, the, for the listeners, Tom Regan uh, was the president of Mindful, a big cannabis outfit in Colorado. That's where we met. Um, I worked there with Tom for a little bit before RiderFlex. And then when RiderFlex, the recruiting firm started, Tom was gracious enough to give, give us our very first search assignment, VP of sales uh, that we did for Mindful. Uh, so like 700 700 placements ago for our recruiting firm. You gave us the very first search. Yeah, it was uh, so great, you, it was a great. I mean, that, that person made a big difference in our company as well. So I appreciate, I appreciate your help. Yeah. Yeah. He really <laughs> did. He, he facilitated our growth on the wholesale side and, and actually helped us um, through our exit. So, well, for the listeners too, just so they know, Tom has been an advisor for Rider Flex since the beginning has given us so much advice, uh, lots of introductions, great friend to the company. Really appreciate you, sir. I, I thought it'd be great for you to come back on the podcast now that Mindful was sold and you spent seven years traveling back and forth from Boston. I thought, man, what a great, what a great episode. Let's get some, let's get Tom to tell the listeners what that was like. Uh, well, why don't you start though, real quick, just a quick reminder for the listeners Give us some personal stuff, family, kids, you know, just a little bit of personal so they'd get an idea of the risks that you took with some of the family stuff, early career um, before cannabis. Really fast, a quick overview there, if you don't, if you don't mind. Of course, sure. So um, I'm from the Boston area. I went to school out here at Northeastern, and then I got a graduate degree at Boston College, worked in high tech, um, a bunch of different startups. Uh, earlier in my career in product development, supply chain, manufacturing. Um, and then I was at two companies that actually startups uh, that got bought by Cisco Systems um, in about a little less than a year's time. I left one and then went and then Cisco bought that company and um, we went public mm -hmm. in the interim. And then and I you made millions. You made, you, made, you made several million dollars when Cisco bought the startups you were with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, enough to put a down payment on a house. Um, <laughs> um, and, and then I stayed at Cisco for about 10 years. I was a director in the supply chain and then in the new product introduction groups um, with, with the team um, pretty much globally. It was a lot of fun. Mexico, Thailand, Shanghai, Hong Kong, Czech Republic, cool. uh, Geneva. So it was fun. I get to, I get to meet a lot of people from uh, all over the world and um, manage the Cisco team. And it was, it was a blast. And then uh, I left Cisco, started my own small uh, with the two founders, started a small software company. And then um, one of uh, my old partners, Jeff White called me and he had invested a lot of money in a little startup in Denver, 
growing some crops and uh, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff called me and said, come on out. And I said, what's going on? I happened to be in Kansas City visiting H&R Block with that software company I'd started. And Jeff said, come to Denver. And I'm like, what's going on? He's like, just, just, just come to Denver. And I, so I booked a flight, it was about an hour and a half flight and uh, landed in Denver. And I said, Jeff, what the heck's going on? And he's like, well, I didn't want to tell you, but um, I've invested a bunch of money in a cannabis outfit and I really want you to help. <laughs> I tried to get out of the car and he locked it. Um, and that was in 2014. And, and that's, that's my entry into, uh, into the cannabis space, which, which interesting though, it, it, you know, it's a lot like high tech because in high tech, you kind of have to invent a lot of things that don't exist because you're always moving forward, new technology, next step, what's next. Cannabis is very much like that because, um, because of its history, there wasn't a lot of infrastructure or experienced um, mm. management or even right. operators. So it was everything we did, Steve, you know, you were part of it. Everything we did, we were kind of doing for the first te- time with like a small cadre of, people in the United States doing it as well. When you, so 2014 or 2013, when you land in Denver? 2014. And when was uh, a cannabis past rec in Colorado win? 2014. Oh, that was, okay. Had it yeah, already, had, 14. Did, did it pass before Jeff called you or he called you right after that? Right after, yeah. Right, Jeff, right had, after. Jeff had jumped in. Jeff, Jeff um, was an angel investor. Um, he and I worked together at a couple high tech startups. He, he did do very well and took a little break and retired and jumped back into the cannabis uh, industry. So you fly to Denver, you're, you're a supply chain operations executive who had started his own tech company and was trying to get that going with a couple of founders. You were living uh, outside of Boston with your wife and how many kids? Four, four kids. Four kids in school. You fly to Denver and Jeff's like, hey, man, I, I, I put a bunch of money in this cannabis company. Come see it. So, so had you ever even been in a cannabis facility? Had you ever walked through a grow? Had you ever even smoked pot? Have you ever? I mean, what? <laughs> no, no. My wife used to make fun of me when we'd meet people. She's like, you know, my husband never really you know, partook. I just, to me, when I was in college, I was probably drinking way too much beer. Um, gotcha. Okay. So, um, but no, I'd never been in a cannabis. It's funny that when I, when I first went into the mindful grow, it was amazing. Um, it was scary. Um, but I, I would, I would lean against the wall in the grow rooms because I didn't, I didn't know that it, by touching the, I thought if you touched the plant while it was growing, you know, if you got the crystals on your hand, you could get high. I didn't understand that you had to, <laughs> you had to heat it up. Um, yeah. I hope, I hope the folks that work with me, they, they already know the stories, but now they're going to be embarrassed that I was their boss, but, um, but it was humbling. Wow. It was very humbling, Steve. I mean, uh, you know, you come from a high tech thing at Cisco. I'm a director. There's only, you know, 70,000 people. There's, there's, there's maybe a couple thousand people at the director and VP level, you know, 2000 out of 70,000. So I was, Kind of, you know, kind of at the top of that organization, yeah. not the very top, but um, mm-hmm. and then to go into a canvas operation where I really, I was a student for a very long time. I, um, that's the first thing I learned is don't go in and think, you know, just because you're the boss, you're the boss. I, you know, it, I was a student for a very long time, still am. Did, did Jeff say, "Hey, come be uh, the COO or president, or come lead his ops"? Like, what was what was he what was he trying to talk you into at the time? He wanted me to be the president. So um, he said, come on out, be the president. Our strategy back then was really kind of get up, get, get things humming in Colorado. And we were expecting other States to come online um, in 2014. Um, That's now happened in the last seven years, but it's taken seven years. I think Jeff and Kevin, the other partner were really thinking that um, that was going to happen in like a three year timeframe, not seven years. And that's why you, so when you went back to talk to your wife, you said, Hey, this is a three, this is a three-year project. I can probably commute. We don't, we don't have to relocate the kids right now. Cause they were all in school and you were thinking I could probably fly back and forth for two or three years. No big deal. Was that, was that the plan? Yeah, I think, um, I never mentioned three years though. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> I, think, I think, I think the thought was, um, 12 to 18 months kind of nailed down, you know, kind of nailed down some of the metrics, some of the operating, 
kind of get I the see. business, you know, reconsolidate or restart elements of the business, kind of get some discipline, do some strategic hiring of which you were part of. Mm. Um, key folks, key contributors. Yeah. That would be 12 to 18 months. And then once that would kind of, you know, get that up and operating with a good support infrastructure, a team, like a scaffolding. And then yeah. kind of, then I would move closer because because the next state that was going to go was Massachusetts and the pipeline, you know, legislatively or, or you know, voter referendum. So I see. Be, yeah, Steve, the thought was, you know, get 12 to 18 months, lay the foundation. They, they had a good foundation, but kind of, you know, get it so it's, it could scale. That, that's what I've always done is I get into small businesses and try to scale them. That's I really enjoy that. And uh, so that was the that was the pitch to my wife. Um, you know, I I think I had one in high school, three, two in middle school, and one in elementary school at that time. How, how did you do that, Tom? Did you did you go home and say, "Hey, I'm, I mean, how did that conversation sound with your wife?" I'm just curious. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> I'm rubbing my face. Um, so <laughs> my wife has always, you know. She'll never see this, but so, you know, I'm not just saying it so she'll hear it, but my wife has always been really the risk taker. She's always pushed me like me. Okay. She's, I'm more, I'm not afraid of taking risks and doing stuff, but I'm more, I'll analyze the heck out of it. And then okay. Okay. You know, come out of a tunnel and make a move. My wife is more like, no, you got to go for this. And she knew she, Jeff and I worked together back in the mid to late nineties at a startup together. So and she knew her, Jeff. Okay. She knew Jeff, um, trusted Jeff. We've had success. Okay. I followed Jeff to one of those Cisco companies that. Okay. That helped. Successful. Okay. So that, that, that helped, helped. Jeff. Um, but also my wife has been, um, she's been really the one to say to me, go for it. Like, I'll be like, mm -hmm. ah, well we have kids or whatever. She's like, no, go for it. Um, so she kind of has that okay. go for it. You know, she's fearless, right? She's, so she's like, no, let's give it a go. But, um, you know, 12, 18 months was the plan. How are your how are your kids? Were you like, were they like, wow, this is cool. My dad's gonna be in cannabis. <laughs> no, it wasn't so cool. In 2014, there was still a real Steve. I mean, you made the decision in 15 or 16. Yes, right. right. It was really scary. You, know, you, were, you were Colorado was kind of a bubble, right? It wasn't representative mm -hmm. of the less, rest of the country. Maybe California was um ahead oh. of yeah, Colorado. but 14, 14 and 15, people were trying to work in the business and not tell anybody. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and for me, for my kid, that was my biggest concern. I, I'm because, I, you know, I don't live my life by what others really think of me other than my kids and my my family, my mom, close yeah. friends. But other than that, I really don't live for whatever the people think. I, I care, but it's not as important. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, my kids were my biggest concern and it was. um it was hard for them, I think, because in Massachusetts, we hadn't, we had passed medical, but it hadn't been through that, you know, that regulatory process where it was out. Mm -hmm. um, Massachusetts was probably third or fourth in the state behind uh, Washington, Oregon, California, and Colorado. When, Massachusetts. So it was early on, hard. my kids got teased a little at school. They didn't I was going to ask. Okay. All yeah, right. but we didn't, we didn't, uh, I've, my wife and I, we've never raised our kids to really care what teasing or whatever right i mean it's you know so my kids really they were good about it i think you know some embarrassing moments where somebody's like oh you know your dad's selling pot um <laughs> you know especially my younger ones um but as you know as as this thing moved into 15 16 17 all of a sudden it became you know from them cool right because then 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 those same parents were like oh okay maybe he did do the right thing early yeah. early on well, early on when you, kim, when, if you don't mind sharing your wife we talked to kim i met kim and kim was looking yeah. at us like what? i gotta check these guys out are these guys oh totally yeah, yeah she, she, she wanted you know your wife the same way if she wasn't trying right. but it wasn't i mean i'm not gonna make it sound like a martyr there was people that went before me and you that went to jail right but we were so, but we were so early we go, yeah you know, everything right. for those folks and that's true that's true a lot of people went to jail now for me and you it was yeah, it was for, legally for okay but still still it was you know people i, I can only imagine when I mean, you walked into they the, the shut down back then they were still you know it was it was yeah. you know a couple of my partners and you know people in colorado were like hey you know what's your getaway plan i'm like get away from what <laughs> like fire escape but no, because people weren't sure what the federal government was going to do. That's it's right. Still, no, totally. Still true. Totally. I mean, I remember that was a lot of your questions too. You were like, "Hey, mm -hmm. what what happens if the federal government turns this around?" 
I remember my wife and I came down to meet you and Jeff at the mindful thing at the mindful uh, cannabis uh, operation. Kim was like, well, let's, you know, let's, let's, let's check this out. <laughs> and so she, I remember. She drilled us. I mean, she, she put yeah. our throats, she put her hand on her throats and, and kept yeah. the ask. But, but you have to do, I mean, in any job though, it's, if you're going to make a change and it, and it impacts your family or your, 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 your spouse or your partner, then you gotta, I mean, I, we loved it. I thought it was awesome. What was the crate? Well, we could, this is a whole podcast, right? We could do a three hour podcast on crazy cannabis stories, but yeah. give me, give me like, think of like maybe just one great crazy ass example of something. I don't know, either an employee issue or, a, or something where you're just like, you call your wife that night and go, holy shit. I don't know yeah. if I could do this. Yeah. There were, <laughs> yeah, there were some 3 a.m., 4 a.m. I'd wake up and say, what the hell am I doing? Um, there was the one thing that surprised me was, um, there, there was oh, the crazy story. I mean, there, there was a story where we, um, the folks that had started the company had done a deal with a dispensary owner up north, okay, near one of the colleges. Okay, and um, the guy that did the deal totally misrepresented everything. His license was on hold by the municipality that granted it to him in Denver, that gave him the right to do it. The state, therefore, had his license on hold. He basically was out of business and totally falsified all his documents and, and to no fault of, of uh, the folks, the executives at Mindful, he had basically falsified everything and they bought a store from him that he had no right selling and was basically <laughs> out of business. <laughs> so then we go up to see him, I'm, I'm just brand new, and we go up to see him and um, I, I walk in the store and he is <clears throat> off his rocker. I, I don't know. He Crazy. Was he was impaired and it wasn't cannabis. I mean, he was okay. on gotcha. some really painkillers. I don't know. And we're in the store and one of the, one of our partners was really a hardcore guy, smart guy, but very much a businessman. And I think I know who, I think I know who you're talking about. Well, I won't well, mention his well, name. Great but yeah. guy. Yep. You know, good guy. And he was there. Yeah. Older fellow. And uh, he was in the store and he saw that guy and he almost lost it. And then all of a sudden the, the city's cannabis inspector comes in and says, what are you guys doing here? And we're like, oh, well, we're going to, you know, we're buy, we, we bought we just, this. We just bought this. And he's like, well, that's pretty funny because this is going out of business and we're not issuing a license. So good luck with that. <laughs> Needless to say, the two hour ride back to Denver was quiet. Um, oh boy. There's yeah. so many, there's so many yeah. stories, right? <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, and, and Tom, just the whole transformation of old school, the cannabis people who took a lot of risks and I highly respect them because back, back in the day, like you said, when they were risking jail time and all kinds of stuff, but, yeah. but to watch those personalities transition with real business executives like yourself and, and watch those conference room meetings where you got some old school guys have been growing weed illegally for 25 years, trying to sit around a conference table with two guys from Cisco. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, Steve, it's funny though. And I think you did a good job with this too. And, and we talked a lot about it because you're kind of the same, you know, you, you've been a COO, a CEO, you know, you've yeah. been the yeah. top person in the company. The, the one of the things I learned right away and, and other partner, Kevin Daly and, and some of the other partners really made a good point of when I get in, they, even though I wasn't, you know, a, a cannabis user in, mm -hmm. in a big way, um, not a, I'm not, you know, prude or anything. It just wasn't, you know, my yeah. thing. And then once I started a family, um, they taught me to have respect for the culture. So the big mm -hmm. thing, I think this is true of anyone joining a culture from if you change industries yes. or whatever, there is a culture, right? There's a language, yes. there's a lingo. Like if, if you if you're a defense contractor, right? There's a lingo, right. all these acronyms That's or whatever, true. and everyone in that that tribe or that culture knows the terms and they use those terms to communicate in a way that an outsider wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Same with like in software and high tech software, you know, people and and, and engineers have a way of communicating. Same thing. Okay. So for me, to your point. The, the trick for me was how do I show respect and an appreciation for that culture that has done so much, but at the mm -hmm. same time, bring together the discipline that maybe can help 
them scale to another level. That was probably the hardest part of my job. And that's the magic, Tom. That that's what you were so good at. And that is the magic of a cannabis executive that comes in from the outside. You've got to balance that the personalities, the cultures, all of that has to mix together to scale. And that is not easy to do. No. And I think, I think you still, to your point though, you, you have to be true to your values, right? I, I, I saw a quote by uh, James Mattis, right? Who's a general and he, and, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was from like one of the Stoics, but it, it was basically like the hard part. The first part is figuring out what your values are. The, the, but the second part, which is harder is figuring out what you won't do. Mm. Not what you will do, but what you won't do. Mm. So for me, that was the hardest part. There was, there was accepting the culture and then there was this corporate culture and they, they weren't necessarily, I mean, some of the best operators I met were from that cannabis culture. They just didn't have the toolkit. They didn't, right. they, could, they could hammer a nail in with whatever it took, right? Like a carpenter, but all of a sudden you showed them like some tools that were corporate. Like so a nail gun. Like, yeah, like a nail, a nail gun. gun. And they're like, and then all of a sudden they, they would go on to levels that I didn't even dream about. So there was that culture. But the, but the hard part for me was not what I, on the corporate side and what on the cannabis culture side, what, what would mesh and be good. The hardest part for me was what wouldn't I do or what mm. wouldn't I want the company to do? And there were gotcha. certain things that were non-negotiable. Like we mm. weren't going to do anything illegal or responsible. Yep. We weren't yep. going to stay in compliance. Um, we had to treat the employees with respect. Um, you know, that was the hard part, I think. Because turnover, t- turnover was also super high in cannabis, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, especially at the entry level. Why was that, Tom? Is it, was it because a lot of the entry level workers came in and thought it was going to be play day and then they were like, oh, wow, this is real work? Or why was the turnover so heavy for every cannabis company yeah. for entry level associates? I think it's, I think it's, 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 I think, you know, and it's not just a cannabis thing, Steve, I, I, I agree with you. It, I think any emerging business or culture has that, right? Mm. Like I, I'll give you an example that I saw at high tech, Jeff and I and my wife were at a company called Shiva and they were okay. doing dial up for, for those of you that don't know what dial up is. It's that <laughs> modem sound um, before right. Wi-Fi and uh, broadband, we dial, we used the phone line to dial up and, um, Right before I joined the company, it was run by a bunch of brilliant MIT engineers, but they were all 25. <laughs> so in those meetings, they were throwing F-bombs and screaming at each other and slamming doors and, you know, just it wasn't that, that culture was never it was brilliant in the innovation stage. But yeah. because of some of those cultural drawbacks of running it like a fraternity or a sorority, you weren't able to scale. And it became insular and that group that they became very insular. And then as you added on people and systems to make the company bigger and stronger, that culture had to break down. And, and the same thing in cannabis, you, you had an insular culture that was not trusting, let's face it, of law enforcement or authority. Right. Because for obvious reasons. Right. So anyway, I'm blabbing on about that. But, it, but, but that was a real trick for us is to say, hey, we're going to hold you accountable and we're going to hold myself accountable and the team accountable, but we expect results. We're all here for results and nobody benefits if we blow this thing up, but retain the culture. And the same thing right. I'd say to people we brought in like you, we brought in you and we're like, Steve, because you looked at me some of the stuff we were going, I'm like, see, we're going through a cultural transition here. And you're like, Tom, we, you can't let this keep happening. <laughs> like, no, but it was good to have people like you around me. You're like, Tom, this is going to be a problem. Right. And you, sometimes you can be that, you know, you can be the frog in the boiling pot as well and not see that things are right. And you bring in, you bring in people from the outside and inside and get the best. I mean, we, when I joined, there was 83 people, I think, in the mm. company. Mm. And there was a core of 20 people that went all the way seven years with us. Almost. That's, ama- that, that's amazing. And how many people uh, in the end, Tom, how big did you grow it? You- 93. 93, yeah. yeah. And we only you- added 10 people, but we grew the revenue by almost tenfold. I was going to say, yeah, I don't know if you can show the specific revenue, but yeah, I think you increased the revenue by tenfold and then had a successful exit, by the way, where you sold. I think this is, is it public knowledge who Mindful sold to? Is, can we share that on the podcast? Or Yeah, they haven't made an announcement, but it's public. They, they made an announcement for the retail part. So yeah, it's it's cool. Mindful sold to LiveWell, right? LiveWell that is based yeah. in Colorado? Okay. Yeah. So you, you grew it ten. So you came in to, to an operation that was that was started, but not running 
what I was not running efficiently and wasn't ready to scale, you changed all that as the leader uh, for the operations over there and grew it tenfold and then helped the executive team take it to a successful exit. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Well, Congratulations. Thank, yeah. And, and thank you for that. And, and, and Steve, I, I clearly, you, you know, it wasn't just me, Kevin, Jeff, some of the other partners early on, yep. they, they gave me the latitude to do the hard things. Well, you're, right? you know what, you know, what was so great. Some latitude. Um, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't just me. If, if they didn't give me the latitude, I probably would have left or become frustrated, but they, yeah. You know, yep. the founders yep. of that company and the partners gave me the latitude to do what I want to do. And they didn't always agree with me. And I did a lot of things that after the fact, they were like, what the hell? But <laughs> but your ability to navigate, Tom, I think I think it really is a special skill set to to navigate personalities and styles and cultures and put them all in a pot and stir them up and, and make a good soup. Uh, it, it is very hard to do and to have the patience to sit there and stir it and season the soup, right? Like, like for me, for my personality, I, I just, I didn't have the patience to do that. You know, I was so type A. I mean, we're all, I guess most leaders are type A, but you, you were a patient enough type A to where you allowed things to unfold in a, in a timely manner that most people wouldn't have the patience for. And you, you did that really, really well. I, and that's every time we're recruiting an executive into cannabis, you know, we'll get people from Chevron, Coca-Cola, you know, Kraft or whatever. Like, I want to be in cannabis. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think, you know, but to your point, I mean, you came in and and I'm, you and I are similar in that respect. I, I, I mean, if, if you're not, you know, it's a cliche, but I feel like if you're not, a bad decision is better than no decision. And I know you agree with that. Like you've yep. got to move yep. forward. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I, 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 the thing that was humbling for me was I, I had a lot to learn. And I think that forced me to be a little more humble than I, I normally am. And, gotcha. and, 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 and it's almost that insecurity of maybe I don't have all the answers, but I think but, but it's a good mix though, Steve. We had a good mix on the executive team and the founding yep. team. That, like yep. Some yep. people were like more analytical. We had you, I mean, in your role, you were just like, let's, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I mean, you, you made some big moves too. I mean, what we did up in that store, uh, uh, not, not the one we talked about earlier, but the one that was existing up in Berthet. I mean, you, you right. walked in and you made some changes that everybody in the company hated, right? And, I, and you know, <laughs> no, but I mean, but you called me yeah. and said, we're going to do it. And we yeah. did it, right? I mean, like one of the things, not that, that I'm, I'm the, a genius. I mean, you've got to leave room for people of all, of all personalities. You walked in there and I, and I asked you to do a job and you walked in and said, I can't do the job with what you gave me. Everybody in the company, except for you and I said it had to happen. <laughs> I remember that. But we did it. I remember no, but, that. But we did it. I mean, you, that store, you left that store better than you found it by, by a magnitude of like three. I wonder acts. whatever, I wonder whatever happened that's to that's those guys. Well, yeah, honestly, I know this is a podcast. I don't care um, <laughs> what happened to them. <laughs> no, but you you came in and, and talking about culture, you came in to me and said, listen, I know, and I think a lot of people get it. If I can go on a tangent, Steve, I think yep. I saw this on high tech as well. And a lot of people go into a company and they have somebody that, that is, oh my God, this, this woman is, she's brilliant. She's tough. She's the best employee we have. She's the most results driven person in the company. But one problem, nobody wants to work with her. Right. Right. Or him. Right. Or nobody wants to work with him. And then yep. a lot of managers, and I've done this in my past, I'm like, well, I'll make excuses. Well, but, but, but look at their results. You have to. But I didn't realize that as a, as a leader, a lot of people don't look at that. They say, oh, well, well Tom let right. Jim or Jane just go off and they're toxic. Everyone that works with them mm-hmm. comes down and gets sick or beaten down or quit. And then you go to Tom and he says, oh, well, yeah, but Jane's brilliant or Jim's brilliant. You don't realize that what that does is that one person's contribution may be brilliant, but it's not just about the results. You've got like a, a vine that is that's right. from that fruit is toxic. And I, and I made this mistake many times, Stephen. This is what you pointed out to me. Like you went to that store and said, Tom, these guys are good. They're competent. But there's a real issue up here where, mm-hmm. you know, there's a culture issue and, and, and this place is radioactive. And yeah. 
<laughs> no, it was right. And I yeah. think just the yeah. lesson I know I'm blabbing on about it, but the lesson I learned and I put up with people like that, it's almost like a no asshole rule, right? It is. Like, it is. People, yep. I said, yep. but their contribution is brilliant and they're assholes. So we put up with it. But the rest of the company, 80 other people were looking at me and they knew and they're judging you. Don't think they're not judging you as a leader, whether you're a shift supervisor, That's the right. CEO of the company or the president of the world, right? Whatever you are, everyone's looking at you the way you treat others. And they're like, well, no. Tom's making an exception or Steve's making an exception. Yes. yes. What the hell? And, and, that's and, right. and that's a hard lesson because as a manager, you're all about the results and then, or a leader, but then if those results come with the baggage of toxicity and yes, and I learned that and, and you know, you, you helped me learn it up there. Um, Tom, what, what would you, what would you say to an executive with no cannabis experience that wants to get in now? Let's just hypothetically say we were interviewing, I don't know, a CFO candidate for, for, for a cannabis company and they're coming from, uh, Nike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What would you tell him? What would, him or her? With, I, three things. It's a great question. And, and if I told myself, or we'll just use me seven years ago, um, that we've already talked about this. Be humble. Always be, be humble. a learner. Yep. Be a learner. Don't, don't, it's different. Be humble. Go in there and learn. You're, you're first and foremost a student. And I would recommend anyone get out into the grow operation or the retail operation mm. or the extraction operation. Go work there for a week. Go work there for a week. It'll do wonders. Um, mm -hmm. we, have a, we had a grower at Mindful. He still tells everyone that starts coming. He goes, you wouldn't believe it. Tom was out here for like two weeks, like getting wet and plants around. They, they wanted me to get the hell off the floor, but, but I'll tell you what, I walk a mile in their shoe. Be humble. So number one, and a learner. Um, number two, don't, just because it's cannabis, I call it business physics. The physics gravity on this planet we live on is the same for you and me, Steve. I can't, <laughs> and the same thing with, there's certain things in business that count. Cash flow is important. Cash flow is king. It's, it's oxygen, right? Without cash flow, it's oxygen, right? That's right. Those physics still apply. Just because it's cannabis doesn't mean the laws of business or the rules of business, and there's no laws, but you know, the laws yep. of physics still apply to you. Gravity's gravity. It's still the same gravity, you know, for Tom as it is for somebody that's been in cannabis for 10 years. So don't, that basis you learn, that that business experience you have with dealing with people and balance sheets and financial statements, th those rules still apply. Those rules still apply. That's right. Yeah. And then the final <laughs> thing is, and I just used that quote, it's about Mattis, right? In cannabis, you're going to see some things that you've never seen. Even now, the business has grown up a little. Be prepared. Be prepared. Stay true to your values. What are you prepared to say no to? Mm, that's a great one, Tom. I think we, that, you know what I mean? I just saw one. that one, Stephen. It really encapsulates for me because I've always been prepared to what I'll say yes to, but I never think in a negative context, mm. not negative, but, but a counter, you know, a, a mm. negative, meaning a film, the opposite of that. What will I, what am I willing, what am I absolutely, what am I non-negotiables? Mm, I love that, Tom. To so what happens? Be humble, be a learner. Business physics still apply. Um, don't let anyone, you'll come in and say, oh, it's not that way in cannabis. My answer to that is bullshit. A balance sheet is still a balance sheet and a, and a, and a P&L is still a P&L. And then the final thing is just be prepared. Know, know where you'll draw that line. Where yeah, I like that. Your personal system, what you'll say no to, what you, you know, you'd be willing to say yes to. What happens now, Tom, uh, with cannabis and CBD? And when I say cannabis, let's just, I'm, I, I kind of mean the THC and CBD side. What happens now? Do do you know, does big pharma and 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 Coors and Coca Cola and all these giant companies just take over and all the and then they partner with giant farmers and across the country and all the small people go out of business or will the you know what what happens now? Yeah, I love this question, Steve, because I think it's you know the way I look at it. This this is the automotive industry in 1910. Okay. Ford, maybe, I don't know. I think Dodge, the Dodge brothers worked for Ford, you know, starting to Detroit, starting to become what's going to happen to the auto bill next, right? There's kind of roads is not roads or the alcohol, you know, spirits and alcohol in 1930 something once prohibition was lifted, right? What's going to happen. Yep. Um, so my point, I, I love business models that existed before, like instead of reinventing the wheel, go back into history and find, a, par a benchmark or a parallel that might apply. So to answer your question, I think two things. I think um, 
it's funny, like this whole hemp and CBD thing has kind of become a proxy for THC and cannabis, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's mm -hmm. the federal government with the farm bill said CBD derived from hemp is legal, but CBD derived from cannabis isn't. So it's kind of, no, but it's a proxy, right? It's almost yeah. like you can buy wine, but you can't buy whiskey. Right. Um, so people, a lot of people, I think, um, I think where the industry goes from what you're talking about, a bigger consolidation, I think all of the states now have created tax revenue. In Colorado, for example, I think a lot of that money's earmarked to education. That money wasn't available. Um, there still was a cannabis market in Colorado. It wasn't legitimate um, in the sense that it was legal. So there was still money changing hands and product being delivered. The state right. has now found a way to derive, I think, I think they I think they passed almost like half a billion or a billion dollars in tax revenue that the state never had access to. A lot wow. of that money is going to education. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's going to help the state. Um, so all these states that have passed and have now have a bounty of, of revenue, tax revenue, it's not, I consider revenue earned, but tax dollars that the, the state is um, taxed. They're not going to say no to that. They're not going to let that go. So if you have a federal prohibition lifted, I think the states are going to still derive it like it's hold on to it like alcohol, right? You need in Colorado to distribute Corona, you need a license to distribute in Colorado. You can't just come into Colorado and start, you know. That's right. You got to have your liquor license. You got to have you got to have a liquor license. Whatever. So I think each state is going to be kind of a micro climate or economy like it is now. But okay. But the one thing that is a big question mark is: Are you going to have big giant? distilleries or cannabis grows in states, certain states, and then it's going to be delivered to Colorado and like right. liquor, you're going to have to have a license to distribute. My guess is no. I think the states derive oh. a lot of, um, I think the states are going to still want their control and their tax revenue. Mm -hmm. And once, mm -hmm. once, once you have a state deriving tax revenue, it's real hard to reverse that. So I think, it, I think, I see. I think where the play goes, I think the Cokes and the, the Cokes and the cores and constellations in the business, I think they're going to move up the value chain into how do you have hemp and cannabis derived products, edibles, consumer packaged goods, distribution, marketing, mm -hmm. like a mature mm -hmm. company. I think that's where they're going to go. I see. I see. Will, will states eventually say, hey, whoever wants a license can buy one. This is how much it costs. Do you think that'll ever happen? I don't see it, Steve, not in the next 10 years, only because of that tax revenue. I know in Massachusetts, they're, they're getting tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars a year that they never had access to. And it's going right to the state. How, do you, how does the state, the federal government come in and say to the state, hey, we're removing the federal prohibitions. You now, that tax revenue is gone. Mm -hmm. Mm. Right. So those licenses that people are paying tens of millions of dollars for, like the sh Chicago, didn't Chicago just pass out some licenses? Will, will those, will the value of those licenses hold? Or do you think over time they'll pass out more licenses and the value of that comes down? What, what happens there? I think, the, I think mostly the latter. And I think the companies that will derive the higher value will move up the value chain. They'll, okay. they'll take the bud and extract it into oil. And then that oil will be distilled or refined into an ingredient that goes into a consumer packaged good, like a, you know, an edible, like a, a cookie okay. Or, okay. or a bomb okay. or, you know, I think, but by that, I mean the value chain, you keep moving up by using technology and branding to move up and, and create greater value. I think those companies are going to do the best. Okay. I, let I me, think, but, but some States, Steve, like Oklahoma, right? Like, I think mm -hmm. you, mm -hmm. you have a, mm -hmm. yep. That's where, I, that's where I grew up. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. You're, you're, you're an Okie, right? And yep. Oklahoma gave out a ton of licenses and they just did it indiscriminately. All you had to do is fill out the paperwork and get a license. Right. So I think in Oklahoma, it, it, because the barrier to entry is not high. I think those licenses aren't trading for the premiums, like a state like Illinois, that's had a restrictive licensing. Mm. Um, eventually mm. that's all going to shake out as well, though, to your point. <laughs> Mm. Okay, let me ask you this too, and I know we're over on time, but I want to get a few more questions in here. Um, I know what THC does to me, right? As a as a user, I know that if I if I'm at the campsite sitting around a campfire and I light up a joint, I I know what it does to me, right? I feel it; it has an effect on me. CBD, and I'm gonna I'm gonna probably piss off some of my listeners here. Like CBD, like I'm just I'm waiting for. 
that result, right? I see all these CBD products, everybody, everybody I know is like, I'm starting a CBD company. I'm like, okay, man, there's a million of them. Uh, You know, I've rubbed CBD on my arthritis pain in my neck. I've used CBD products. I've been doing all this stuff. As a, as a consumer, I'm not convinced it's doing anything for me yet, Tom, on this CBD. I, I, when it first started rolling out, it's like, oh, CBD is going to be the cure all for everything, you know, rub it on whatever pain you have and poof, it's better. Um, that hasn't happened for me personally. Yeah. I think, I think your story, I think your narrative there is, is for a lot of people. And I think there's two reasons. Um, there's a lot of people out there taking CBD and just throwing it into something. So like a cream, but they know, they don't really know anything about how a cream, you know, transitions from the top of your skin through your skin as a barrier into, you know, this, this is a medicinal side, right. Of that, like, like icy hot, right. Like, you know, and yeah. I think there's also inferior CBD products out there. It's become almost like, like the superfruit. Remember pomegranate or quinoa, like, right. There's always a superfruit blueberries, right. It's almost right. like a trendy CBD became a, two things. It became a trendy, Hey, I can consume cannabis, but I don't have to do it like on the scary part of the cannabis right. for some, right. for some people. Right. And right. I think there's another thing called, you know, a lot of folks in, in the industry called the entourage effect. Right. And I, and I explain that to people like you need some element of THC and some element of CBT. And, and, and those things are natural in the plant and they play off of each other. If you extract or derive just CBD or just the THC component from it without keeping mm. those two things together, mm. you don't get the full benefits of the plant. And I think a lot of, so you've got some inferior CBD out there. You've got okay. people making false claims, you know, around mm. it. They don't mm. know how to do the formulations. And I think, you know, you do need an element of both of balance of THC and, and CBD to get the intended effects. Mm. If you just pull out all the THC, it, it, like the, the, the analogy I use, it's probably the people that follow the science and uh, cannabis will probably laugh at me. But the analogy I use is like a lemon. You've got the tart and the sweet. If I pulled the sweet out of a lemon, it wouldn't be a lemon anymore. Mm. And if I pulled out okay. all the sweet, you know, out of the lemon and, and, or left the sweet and pulled out the tart. You, you know what I mean? You need that, mm, you need mm, that mm. for the full, you know, the, the, the full spectrum of, of, I of, got you. of lemon's taste, right? You need that. It's the, it's the interplay of those two things, the sweet. Got and the you. And okay. I think, I, yeah, I'm using a taste right. analogy, but I think from a medicinal, th- those two things work on your body in a certain way. And there has to be both elements to get the full effects. Okay. All right. Very good. I appreciate that explanation. Explanation. Thank you. I probably blew the science on it, Steve, but I mean, just as an <laughs> so, so what's, what's next for Tom Regan right now? I mean, you're, you know, there's very few, when you think about, I don't know how many people in America right now, 360 million or whatever it is. I don't know. Um, so all these people walking around in the United States, there really are, when you think about just the volume, the percentage, right? There is a tiny group of people walking around that come from major companies like Cisco that went into cannabis, grew the company tenfold, and exited. You've got all this experience. You are in this very special group now of executives that have that experience. I mean, literally, there just aren't that many, many people. If somebody called RiderFlex, our recruiting firm, and said, hey, Find me an executive that came from a huge company that went into a small startup cannabis company, spent seven years, turned it around, grew up by tenfold and took it to an exit. Like if we had that challenge to find that person as a search firm, that'd be tough to do. There's not a lot of those guys. So you're in a very select group. So my point is, and my question is, what is next for Tom with all of this valuable experience? What's Tom doing next? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we just completed the transition of our assets in June. So I'm kind of taking a deep breath because the first um, we didn't get in. I know you traveled like crazy too. Uh, yes. But for the first probably three and a half, three years of those seven, I was in Denver every week from Boston. I know. I know. I don't, night, I, don't, so I don't know how you did that. That was, that was, that was kind of, that was a whirlwind unto itself. And then the, the, the next three or so years, my partners and the team we built out there enabled me to make it every other week. So I'm taking a little breather right now, Steve, but I think, you know, it's a trite answer, but I really, I kind of, you know, and I'm not, I don't know if I'll 
be in the cannabis business the rest of my life. I like at the start of this thing, you know, this talk we are having, I really enjoy helping people add, start small, add a ton of value, build a team, create something great, scale it, and then see where it goes. So kind of at a very general level for me, I want to help people. If I can take my experience and knowledge and some of the Mm. mistakes, all the mistakes I made, I made them all. um, And and just kind of, bring that to somebody and provide a ton of value for them and see them take that on and really blow it up. If I can help people do that, that's, do you want to do, do you want to do that as a consultant, uh, maybe a consultant firm, or would you, if somebody called and said, come be CEO for ABC company, you know, uh, in North Carolina and help us scale it, would would you do it? Yeah, I would. I think, I think, you know, I kind of, I've been managing people for the last, 20 yeah i mean almost 30 years since you so, since you got out of college probably while yeah. you were in college yeah so yeah so it's a lot of fun I, I do love building a team and managing a team um so i think for the right opportunity i would i wouldn't rule it out steve but i'm kind of enjoying right now i'm helping a couple small ah. firms here locally um okay. some of them just call me you know hey a friend of a friend and i give them a million dollars of free advice and don't charge, <laughs> I charge them a hundred grand. I gotta, get, I, I gotta, yeah, I gotta talk. If anyone out there has any ideas on how to, how to monetize that, I'd love to talk to you. Um, <laughs> sorry, Steve, that's a pitch. But So I'm kind of, I'm in that stage where for the right opportunity, I'd lo- I love building a small team and, and helping okay. people grow and seeing what they can do. Uh, yeah, cannabis think, or cannabis or non-cannabis, either one. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, it's funny. I, I've got like five or six, business ideas that spur out of my uh-huh. kids. Right. Right. Um, software, education, consulting, and, you know, a couple ideas on some wireless stuff. I mean, okay. so, okay. um, you know, well, well, as you, as you grow the, as you grow these new companies, I got, I know this really cool recruiting firm that can help you staff it up. Yeah. Yeah. I've used them before. They're pretty good. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Kudos to you guys. I mean, you built half of my, my direct well. team of six people. Um, just, just, and, and, and those people, you know, it's funny in high tech, we had this thing, we, we called it a following, right? People would go like, I followed Jeff, right? People mm. would go from startup to startup and follow the same people, the founders, yes. the executive team. And I really believe in that culture. And um, there's people that I've worked, those, those 20 people I worked with, you know, you're amongst them. Mm-hmm. Um, I get to know Scott through you. There's just mm-hmm. a core of people that are trusted that I know. Yes. You call Special. a play as an executive, and, I, and it, but believe me, I, I hope I'm as good a follower as a leader because I think great leaders, you know, that old saying, lead, follow, or get the out of the way. Um, those are the three choices, right? And I think sometimes you're a follower, and um, there's people I would follow to the ends of the earth because I know what they've done, and I hope, you know, you know, my dream would be if I could, um, you know, work with a core of people and get new people yes. that would make that. But th- yeah. those 20 people I worked at. Sounds like you're ready to start. Sounds like you're ready to start something new and and pull some of those people in. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think you know they've got to figure. You know, there's a thing where I want them to go. A lot of them are 20 years young. Steve, we're that age now, right? They're 20 years right. younger than us. All right, so all right. I'd like to see them go figure it out on their own and then down the road. But yeah, I mean, Tom, yeah. are you 50? Are you 54? 54? 55? I'm 55. I'm 55. I can't believe it. Isn't it, Tom, isn't it amazing? You know, for me, I do feel like I have more energy than most 54-year-olds. And, and I do honestly believe that. But I don't have the same juice I had when I was 35. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll admit it. I just don't. I just don't. Yeah. <laughs> you can go You can go hard, but just not. I can go hard. I can go you, hard, you but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You guys, you and Scott have built something pretty incredible. I mean, I remember. Well, I appreciate it. When you guys did it, I remember we were sitting in a room and, and one of my partners, I won't say his name, he told you guys you had to have, you need to get your heads examined, right? Wait, no, well, well, he doesn't mind. I'm sure he doesn't mind us sharing that on the podcast. By the way, I'm going yeah. camping with, I'm going camping with Jeff this coming weekend. Just, oh, awesome. Yeah. 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 So, but Jeff knew yeah, you guys. Yeah, Jeff, was, Jeff was like, what the hell you want to do that for? He's like, what's wrong well, with he knew, <laughs> he knew as being on the, on the buy side of what you did. It's a hard, hard. Yes. It's a hard yeah, business. but it, people, but you guys, you guys gave us a shot, which we appreciate. Really, really quick, Tom. I know we're out of time, and I um, let me ask you this: uh, for people to get a hold of you, for in case they're interested in in some consulting services or they want to talk to you, I know you're busy. I know you're already, I know you're already booked. So 
I don't even know if you could take on more, but if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best thing to do? Is it reach out on LinkedIn or what, what do you prefer? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So because I haven't figured out what I want to do next. I've been kind of like people have come to me and said, can you help? So I've been helping on a couple of projects. I'm still using my Gmail. Um, okay. Okay. So that's a great way. And I think it'll we'll be in the that- show notes, but my LinkedIn is a great way to DM me. And if you reference this and, um, and I mean, it's not just, not just what you can do for me. I mean, if you, I really mean this, if, if, if I can help you get through a knot hole and it's a quick exchange, great. Uh, I've learned in the past that if you can help others, you know, I think it's, a, I'm, I'm going to show my age, but a Zig Ziglar quote, right? You, the way to be successful is to help others realize their dreams. I can't remember the exact mm-hmm. quote, but I know, I think if you can help people in a small way, realize what they want to do in life or in their career or with their You family. did that for me. You did that for me, my friend. You did that yeah, for me. Hey, look at, look at, I'm on this superstar million view podcast. <laughs> getting to blab on about myself, which the really podcast was, wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for Tom Regan, by the way, for the listeners, Tom Regan can be found on LinkedIn. It's just, just type in his name. You'll see it. Tom Regan, president mindful is what it still says, but they'll probably change it to Tom Regan international consulting agency or something. I don't know whatever yeah. he's going to call it. And we'll put yeah. your Gmail in the, in the, in the show notes as well, Tom. Awesome, uh, yeah. I appreciate, I appreciate you, sir. Thank you so much for being on Thank the Riderflex podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah. You and Scott just, you know, keep up the great work. You guys, the courage, you know, we didn't talk a lot about courage today, but um, the courage you guys showed with established careers and you guys were pretty comfortable and, uh, Thank you. Made yourselves very uncomfortable by doing this. So I think, uh, <laughs> but I, but uh, you know, and I, I know we're all done. But uh, I've just never seen you happier. I know you're. Working yeah, I appreciate. So it. You're working so hard, and I know there were a lot of lean times for you guys, and yes. you guys are still hustling and taking care of your people. But uh, that's another podcast. We got. We got. We got to talk about the pains and scariness of startup. You'll do, we'll do that on the next show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll show scars. <laughs> exactly. Uh,